morning, everyone. It's nice and warm, isn't it? You could literally this morning, a blessing for you might be just to watch me slowly disintegrate in front of you. It's always a great privilege for us to be able to be together, a freedom that we have and ought not to take for granted in our country. As is, as we were reminded last weekend from Open Doors, the blessing and privilege of having God's Word and being able to read it, study it and talk about it publicly. We're going to do that in just a moment. Before I pray, I just wanted to inform you that Pastor Charlie is not well. I am Pastor Charlie this morning. I was supposed to be on tonight, but because Charlie is not well, he's sick, he's on three weeks sick leave, went to the doctors the other day and the doctor gave him immediately three weeks off. So please pray for him and uh, for Elena um, as he seeks to get better. He'll go away probably this week, go uh, fishing and do stuff to re-energise and refresh himself a little bit. Um, But he's certainly um, been struggling recently and it sort of has peaked in the last week or so and so he has time off. so in your bulletin it says, I, I'm not sure if it says Charlie was speaking this morning for it's me, but it has me down for tonight and it's not me, it's going to be David, okay? So it's all twisted around. All right, let's pray. Thanks Heavenly Father that we can be together. We do pray for our brother, for Charlie, and pray that you might minister your grace to him and that you might help him to find strength and peace in his relationship with you, Lord Jesus. With whatever is going on, Um, For him, we pray for your intervention and for your assistance and help, and likewise for Elena and for the two girls. Bless this family. We thank you for them. And we thank you for each other. We thank you for this church family and ask that you might minister your grace through your word this morning and speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said... We're in a series on learning about gifts and stuff, and we've said these truths. Let me remind you of some of them. God made me. God has shaped me, God has shaped us, and I don't mean by that our physical shape, we have some responsibility for that. But God has given us spiritual gifts, he's given us particular personalities, hearts and abilities, and the sovereign God has even been watching over us as we grow up. He gives us educational experiences, positive and negative. God in his sovereignty allows and educates and develops us through that and as we heard last week brilliantly from pastor um what's your name brendan (laughs) he's not well either he's recovering from a cold or the flu or something oh it's fine Um, but god has called us and we need to respond to that Um, here is a paraphrase of a paraphrase from romans 12 verse 5 Since we find ourselves fashioned and formed in these marvellously functioning parts in Christ, since we find ourselves fashioned and formed into these marvellously functioning parts of Christ, each of us, then let's go ahead and be what we were made to be. That's a good word, isn't it? Let's go ahead and be what God made us to be. That's from the message. It's actually a paraphrase of the message, so it's a paraphrase of a paraphrase. Still true. And it's not exactly what the text says, but the truth of it is there. Did God know what he was doing when he made us? Answer. Did God know what he was doing when he put us here? Yeah. 
Does God know what's best for us? Can the pot ever say to the potter, why did you make me like this? Why did you put me here? Why is this happening? Well, the pot can do that, but the pot's not supposed to do that, is it? It's the potter who makes the pot and who shapes it. God in his sovereignty, as I have said, watches over our growth, guides it, and he's developing us. And what our role is, is to learn from it, to accept the good, the bad, the sad, not to resent it, not to reject it, <clears throat> nor to regret it in some senses. And the truth is that God wants us to enjoy our relationship with him and our serving him. He wants us to enjoy what he has made us to be. None of us can do everything. Nobody. All of us have strengths and all of us have weaknesses and all of us have inadequacies in some areas of our life. We can't do everything and that's because we're to do what we're good at and we're to rely on others doing what they're good at. God has designed it this way deliberately so that we can cooperate together. You know this stuff, I'm just reminding you of it. But Satan, who is the ultimate joy stealer, he will tempt us to do two things. Even if we're operating out of our strengths, he will seek, he'll plant desires or tempt us to compare ourselves to others. And that's disastrous. When we start comparing ourselves with others, that'll either lead to discouragement, not doing it as good as them, or it'll lead to pride. I'm doing pretty good. So he will seek to, for us to compare ourselves to somebody else or he will tempt us, trick us, delude us into trying to conform our ministry, what we ought to be doing to other believers and to try to live up to their expectations. We'll either compare ourselves to others or we'll seek to conform ourselves to others' expectations, both of which deviate us, distract us from being the person and doing the things that God has shaped us to do and be. Make sense? <clears throat> so in that parable of the talents that the Lord Jesus gave that we referred to over the last couple of weeks, it's almost like God says, here you go. Here are some gifts and some talents and some experiences, different to others but similar to others in some things. Make the most of what I've given you. Make the most of what I've given you. And then what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, not ashamed. Do your best to present yourself to God as a worker, unashamed. Yep, I'm doing, Lord, what you made me to do. I'm doing it to the best of my ability. We know, I remind you, that we are called to be good stewards of our time, of our talents, of our treasures, of our temples, of our thoughts. Rhonda and I yesterday have put our, no, today, starting today, have put ourselves on a competition weight loss program. It has to be based on percentages because apparently it's easier for me to lose more weight than it is for her. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> so we're doing it that way. We have one month, at the beginning of each month, we're going to compare, and the prize is. <laughs> It's got to be motivation. Besides health and wanting to glorify God and please him, there's got to be some motivation, doesn't there? <clears throat> Whoever wins, please pray for me. Whoever wins for one day, probably a Saturday, but for one full day, that person 
the winner has to be waited upon for the whole day. So, if Rhonda wins, I have to cook breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, supper, wash up, clean up, keep the kitchen clean, and she gets to sit back like she normally does. And <laughs> yeah, that's not true. It's going to be a change of roles on that day, I tell you. <clears throat> God wants us to be the best at what we can be. And both Rhonda and I have acknowledged there, we're not as fit as what we are and we need to lose a little bit of weight. And so we're endeavouring to do that because we're trying to be better at looking after our temples that God has given us. And she's in her 60s now. And it's all about being a faithful steward. You know all of that stuff. In this passage that John read to us, in this passage, the Apostle Paul outlines for us his attitude towards serving Jesus, of giving God his best. He outlines for us partly his goals and, and uh, purposes, his desire in ministry, but he also outlines for us his attitude in ministry. Bottom line is, in this passage, if we can put the passage up and just leave it up, that might be helpful for some folk. Paul's purpose is all that he's doing is to help believers become fully mature in Christ. It's to help them move from being infants or children into being adults in Christ, to grow up, to mature. Some Bibles translate that as the word perfect, which is not a bad word, but it's not the best word because perfect for us means, you know, without any fault, with any falling short. Mature is, I think, a better word or complete. He wants us to be mature and balanced, complete in Christ to the best of our ability as we can be in this life. That's what my daughter is doing for our little granddaughter, Marnie. It's what our son's doing for his two daughters. Have I shown you pictures? Ah. Oh. You want her to grow, them to grow from being a babe, from being a child into being a teenager, into being a mature adult. Now the same, that's what God wants for us too. And Paul says that's his goal in ministry. Let's look at this passage work our way through it, have a couple of truths from it, and then make a conclusion. The Apostle Paul says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Number one, Paul rejoices in sufferings. Suffering's awful. The Apostle Paul's not a masochist or a saddest he's uttering a spiritual truth in language which is a little bit strange perhaps for us i rejoice in my sufferings consistent new testament theme count it all joy brothers when you fall into trials of various kinds james says peter says the same things that we ought to rejoice in our sufferings not because of the pain or the difficulties that's awful but to rejoice because we know what's going to come out of it we know why God is allowing this. I rejoice in my sufferings for you, Paul says, because he realises there'll be growth for him and there'll be growth for them. That's the common testimony both of Scripture but also of Christians throughout the centuries that in the midst of suffering is when we often experience God's nearness the most. And there are some Christians, in fact, who will testify that if they could change their life, they've had a struggle their life. If they had the choice of changing it, they would say no. 
because through the struggles and through the difficulties, they find the nearness of God to be closer and richer. I rejoice in my sufferings, Paul says, because he partly knows not only what's going to come out of it, growth and maturity, but he also knows that he's going to experience the nearness of God. This is what he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the reality of God at work in my life, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, the fellowship with Jesus of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him, Paul says, in his death. When we suffer, we are identifying with Christ or we are being identified with Christ. And it's in that sense that Paul utters this difficult phrase, nobody knows what it means. You can have a guess. And I fill up in my flesh, in this life, in my body, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Biblical scholars have various interpretations. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. The Apostle Paul does not mean that there was any inadequacy in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's not talking about salvation, Christ's afflictions in terms of salvation. He's not talking about salvation by works, that if we suffer a little bit, that helps us get saved. He definitely does not mean those. And what does he mean? Well... Like I said, nobody's absolutely sure, but probably one of the best guesses or the best understandings is simply this, that as Jesus suffered and died for us to be reconciled to God, and as we take that message, as he commanded us, as we take that message to give to others, and we suffer in the process of doing that, so this suffering is also part of what Jesus endures, because he suffers with us when we suffer. He identifies with us in it. Remember when Paul was being persecuted? Jesus knocks him off his horse. Who are you? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus, uh, Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Christians. But Jesus so identifies with us, his people, that what we suffer, he suffers. It's interesting. Paul goes into the city and Jesus speaks to Ananias and says, Go to him, lay your hands on him. He's a chosen instrument of mine. And I am going to show him how much he, Paul, must suffer for me. Jesus is going to allow the Apostle Paul to suffer and Jesus identifies is sharing in that suffering. And it's maybe in that sense that the Apostle Paul is talking here about. God uses suffering to grow us to maturity in him. He then goes on to say, I have become uh, the church's servant by the commission of God. The commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in all of its fullness. There it is again, all the way through the New Testament. Our commission from God is to take the word of God and to share it with others. We can't know Jesus without the scriptures. In knowing Jesus better, we have to know the scriptures better. The word of God talks about him, the Lord of the word. So if we want to know Jesus better, if we want to grow in him and become like him, we have to be students of the word, readers of the word, exposed to the truths of the word. And that's certainly what the Apostle Paul goes on to say, down to verse 28. He is the one that we proclaim, Jesus, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Admonishing, teaching, to present everyone mature. How does a babe in Christ... How does a, a, an earthly child, baby, grow? It gets fed. 
It gets nurtured, it gets educated. How does a spiritual babe in Christ grow? It gets fed scripture. It gets educated, it gets nurtured. It has experiences to grow to become like Jesus. It involves admonition, warning, correcting. Because we all have, we're all like bowling balls. Nice and round and hard on the outside. No, we have a bias. We live in this fallen world under the influence of gravity and this bias is not removed from us. It's still in our flesh. I could argue it's removed from our spirit, but it's still in our flesh, still in our soul, still in us. And this bias is towards self. This bias is towards sin. And so occasionally, we as Christians, we as Christians, occasionally, probably daily, we do something wrong, we say something wrong, we get off track and we need other people not to ignore it. We need other brothers and sisters to admonish us, to say, hey, that's not right. You need to cut that out. When we get out of step, we need someone to come alongside us and help us to get back in step. When we start to stray or drift, we need someone to chase us and go after us. Sorry, that was me. <clears throat> we need people to teach us. We need the input of God's word into our life. You know this stuff. I'm just reminding you of it. But the point to note, I want you to note out of this, is it's everyone. Everyone is important. Everyone. The false teachers even. They're important. And they need to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus. They may need to hear it in a different context. And then with church needs protecting from them. But they still need to hear it. Because as we're exposed to the truths of the gospel, our lives are changed and transformed. Here is one out of left field illustration, but it's a great illustration. Jesus Christ came into the world, Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3, where he died on the cross in order to break down the middle wall of petition that separated Jews from Gentiles. The ancient world was clearly divided, like many of, much of our world is clearly divided between races, nationalities, different economic socio-status. We are divided. Jesus came to make us one. And the church is to be a reflection of that. That we are all equal, that we are all valued, and that we are all to be supportive of one another, male and female, young and old. Those who speak English and those who don't. In Sydney, there was a bishop, an Anglican bishop, Bishop Green. He was uh, in charge of an Anglican school in the inner city of uh, Sydney where there were both white children and black children, Aboriginal children. The school was terribly segregated. Tensions ran high. These kids would get on the bus and, well, one day it all just got out of hand. He heard about it. So the next day, before they get on the bus, he gave them a little pep talk. You are no longer white and you are no longer black. You're all green. And he made them line up. He lined them up alternatively. And he made them say, I'm green, before they got on the bus. I am green. I am green. I am green. I am... And they got on the bus. There was no tension and everything was peaceful until one person at the back of the bus said, okay, light green this side, dark green that side. <laughs> we have this bias, we have this propensity that Jesus wants to deliver us from. He wants us to grow in him and to become like him. 
in character. What was Jesus like? He loved God and he loved people. We need to become like him. Well, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, that's his goal and his purpose. God uses suffering and I rejoice in that opportunity of suffering because I get nearer to Jesus and God achieves growth purposes through it. And his purposes, the, the, the word is expanded. God is at work. We use the scriptures in order to learn more about Jesus so that we can teach and help other people become like him, to grow to maturity in him. Now note verse 29. To this end, the Apostle Paul says, I strenuously contend with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. To this end, to the goal of becoming mature in Christ, of helping everyone be one in Christ. I labour and strive, I struggle and toil. These are words of human effort and of great investment. And he repeats it again in chapter 2 and verse 1. What's he saying? Well, as followers of the Lord Jesus, we have to work hard. We have to rely on his powerful energy that's working in us. We don't do it in our own strength, but we do have to work hard. We have to cooperate with him. There are two mistakes I can anticipate. Number one, some Christian workers take the attitude, God is at work in me, I don't have to do anything. I'll just sit back, I'll let go and let God. And if God wants to do something, he'll do it. I don't have to do anything. Some people think like that. It's faulty thinking, it's bad thinking, it's being lazy. Let God do what God wants to do. Well, God says, I do want to do things, but I want you to cooperate. I want you to respond. I want to do this together. And secondly, it's the opposite of that. It's the people who so embrace it that they rely on their own strength and they put all their effort in it and they don't rely on God. They don't rely on the energy that God is working in them and so they ultimately will burn out because they're relying on their own resources, their own strength. Whether they're trying to earn God's favour or whether their life is just out of balance and they don't know, they're trying to please people or they don't know how to say no or whatever it is multitude of different reasons God is at work in us God is motivating us we need to cooperate with that and the apostle Paul says and that does require effort on our behalf we have to labor and strive hard work and I remind you Paul doesn't say it here but he does in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 it's never in vain whatever we do with God and for God it's never in vain it's that balance Lord, what do you want me to do? How have you shaped me? How, where are my strengths? What's your will for my life? I don't want to compare myself to others, nor do I want to conform to what other people expect me to do. I want to do what you want me to do. Help me to learn it, discover it, and then to develop it and to use it for your honour and glory. Working hard. That wasn't me. R. Kent Hughes tells this beautiful story. I don't have any other details to it besides what he writes in his commentary. There was a lady, a woman in Africa, she was in her 70s. And she got converted <clears throat> in her 70s. She was blind and she was uneducated. But she came to faith in Jesus. One day she went to her missionary, a lady, with her French Bible. And she asked the missionary to underline for her in her Bible, John 3.16 in red ink. The missionary thought this was strange, but she complied and she did it. And then she observed this elderly lady, recently converted, in the afternoon go across the, from the mission station, across to the school compound and sit outside the gates 
And when school was dismissed for the day, she would sit there near the gates and she would call out to one or two of the boys. It was a boys' school. Would call out to one or two of the boys uh, to come over. And they would come over and she would simply ask them a question. Do you know French? And they would sort of beam a little bit because that's one of the languages they were studying. They would proudly respond, yeah, we do. We know French. She said, could you please read this passage, which is underlined in red? And they did. And then she would simply say, do you know what that means? And then she would explain to them about the Lord Jesus. That's what she did in the afternoon after school. John 3.16. That's the verse the Gideons, I think, have in the front of the Bible. John 3.16. In all multitude of different languages. The missionary testifies that over the years, many boys came to faith. And she does say 24 young men, 24 became pastors because of her. A blind lady, uneducated, sitting outside a gate, doing what she could, I guess doing what God had laid on her heart to do, responding to what God wanted. We're all called. We're not all called to do that. I'm not suggesting you go get a French Bible and go sit outside Runcorn Heights. Any of you speak French? Don't do that. But do what God wants you to do. It's hard, it's difficult, requires hard work. God deserves our best, that's the point. This lady was trying to do her best for him. He gave us his best and he wants what's best for us. So God will continue to work in us to help us become our best, what he has shaped and gifted and he wants to commend us and reward us for our efforts. Well done, good and faithful servant. The ball's in our court. We need to cooperate with what he is working in you need to expose ourselves to his word, the scriptures, you know that. You need to respond to the difficulties in your life, the struggles, realising that God is at work, achieving his purposes. As I said to the pastoral team, Genesis 50 verse 20, I said keep this as a filter for stuff that's going on right now. Genesis 50 verse 20 is where uh, Joseph, Joseph is speaking to his brothers and he says to his brothers, you meant this for evil you meant this for bad you meant this for harm but God meant it for good it's a good balancing word well let me draw this to a conclusion how do we cooperate with God with what he's wanting to do in us we know he calls us to serve him we know he's gifted us we know he's shaped us we know he's placed us here we've said he wants what's best for us and we agree I think that we need to give him our best, our best effort. Well, <clears throat> in my life, in my spiritual disciplines, I do things on a weekly basis, I do some things on a monthly basis, and quarterly I do certain other things. I lengthen the time. This morning I'll just share with you on a, on a daily basis. This is what I do and I commend it to you. I do three things every day. Number one, surrender. Surrender to God. Submit your life to him. It's reporting to him for duty every day. It's Romans 12 verse 1. You know, in light of God's mercies, therefore present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Here I am, Lord. What do you want to do in me today? What do you want me to do for you today? Go before me into all my appointments and circumstances. Help me to represent you and glorify you. 
And then, I haven't done this, but I came across this in somebody, Eric um, Rees' book on spiritual gifts and things, and I thought, oh, that's, that fits in with surrender. <clears throat> he says we should surrender these five things to God. And so I'm taking this on board. I need to surrender my worries to him. Pass my burdens to him. What's concerning me? What's worrying me? What am I anxious about? Hand it over to him. Pass my wounds to him. Where have I been wounded? Where I've been hurt? Where I've been disappointed? What needs a healing touch or intervention in my life? My wounds. Hand that to him. My wrongs, my sins, my mistakes, my errors, the things I've said wrong, done wrong, whatever, that need forgiveness. I bring those to him. My weaknesses, where I am inadequate or where I'm struggling, where I need God's extra grace, submit that to him. And finally, my wishes, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, trusting him to work out his providences. Number one is surrender. Whether you do it through those five, I think that's helpful, or whether it's just that general surrender. Secondly, scripture. Every day I try to read scripture and read much of it. Because in my relationship with God, I need to be listening to him. And through the Bible, he speaks to us. So it's studying scripture, listening to scripture, it's reading it, it's meditating upon it, it's thinking about it, it's imagining it. What do you want me to do, Lord? What's your word say that I ought to be doing? Surrender, scripture, and very importantly, silence. For me, it's journaling. I write in a journal what I hear God speak. And this is the most difficult, but the most one of the highlights as well. In my life, and I'm sure it's the same in your life, we all struggle with hurry. We're all so busy and we're all so time poor. and We've all got so many things worrying in our mind. A very helpful exercise is simply, whether in a journal or a bit of paper, is you write down the things that you are, are worrying in your mind. Today I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to call that, I have to do that and do that. And write it down and put it aside so that you can still your mind so that you can be silent before him. You know the old adage, um, don't just stand there, say something? Well, with God, it's the reverse. Don't just say something. Stand there. Listen. I have something I want to say to you. You need to hear it. And there have been several times in the last week particularly, but several times, often throughout my life, something will happen. And I'll go, Lord, why didn't you tell me about that? Or did you tell me and I wasn't listening? Surrender, scripture, and silence. If we do those three things on a daily basis, then all the other spiritual disciplines will, that's the foundation. Knowing Jesus and becoming like him. Surrender, scripture, and silence. Submitting, listening, and following. God deserves our best. I'm going to finish. He gave us his best in the person of his son, Jesus. And we're going to remember that in a minute. And he calls for our best. He's certainly worthy of the best that we can give him. 
And God deserves the best from all of us. All of us. All of us without exception and all of us without limitation. Whatever we can do for him in salvation, everything he has becomes ours. In service, everything we have becomes his. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the God who is worthy, worthy of our best. You deserve our best because you're the Lord. You're the one who made us, shaped us, gifted us, called us, and is now working in us and requiring our cooperation. Lord, can you help us on a daily basis, starting today, to surrender? To surrender to you our worries, our wounds, our weaknesses, our wishes, and our wrongs. Can you open our eyes and ears to the truths of your word in scripture? And can you help us to discipline ourselves to be silent and still before you, to listen to what you might speak into our minds? Lord, your will be done in us, through us, whether through suffering, whether through teaching or admonition, or whether through hard effort. Achieve your purposes and glorify the name of your Son. We pray in his name. Amen. God bless everyone.